Hello, Dre. Hi, Peter. Do you know how excited I am to be talking to you? How excited are you? I don't know. That's why I was hoping you could tell me. <laughs> Not a mind reader. Okay, all right. Well, I'm very excited to be talking to you about this week's selection, which is the Beatles' self-titled album from 1968, usually referred to just as The White Album. We've talked about John Lennon before. We have. Do you know anything else about the Beatles or the other Beatles? Is one of them McCartney or is that somebody else? Paul McCartney is. And I think that it might be all that I know are those two names. All right. Well, then you've also got George Harrison and Ringo Starr. Oh, he. Wow. I did not know. See, look at there. Mm. From that, I'm gathering that you don't have any real personal history with this album. Nope. Did you recognize any of it? I think I am that far removed from the Beatles where they have really not been part of my life. What I realized listening to this as an album all the way through over this last week was that I have heard everything on this album ad nauseum multiple times in various contexts. I don't think I have actually sat down and listened to it as a, a singular album before, which seems very strange. I suppose not for me, considering to me they, they're movie music guys. The, the Beatles are movie music guys? <laughs> That's about the only time I think I've heard the movies, TV, commercials, but I could never tell you anything else because I don't pay attention to that stuff. I first encountered the album, not necessarily listening to it all the way through myself, but the album, I guess, probably is early high school, late middle school. I remember going with a friend to like his girlfriend's house and her dad had this on vinyl and he wasn't home and we just like picked it up and Josh already listened to a lot of the Beatles and he was like, oh yeah, check out this. And he put on specifically Revolution 9 and he was just basically showing it off because it was probably the strangest track on the album. So yeah, that's probably the first the first place I encountered like the physical album itself. But like I said, pretty much all the tracks on here I have heard and probably had already encountered in some case before, mostly because like I said, Josh was already pretty much obsessed with the Beatles and he would, I swear, every time he got high or drunk, he would start belting out Rocky Raccoon. That's funny. Prob- the real problem, besides him being drunk or high, was that he was also tone deaf. <laughs> and you never recorded that? No, I'm afraid I didn't. Okay, the, the original release from 1968 was a double album. It came on two LPs, so four sides altogether. It ran somewhere in the neighborhood of uh, an hour and a half. Yeah, so apparently most of this album was written uh, when they, as a group, took a like little spiritual retreat or a break or something to India. During the recording, apparently uh, Ringo got so frustrated with everybody else that he left the band for a few weeks, but he, uh, he did quit for a few weeks there. George Harrison was also not happy with a lot of the recording process. 
And apparently both Paul and John were angry with each other for various reasons. So this was, this was not necessarily a happy time. The music sounds happy. I think it's kind of amazing how diverse they managed to be on this album. You've got elements of folk and ska and avant-garde and some blues. And this album is just all over the place. Maybe that was part of my problem. I have read, I don't know for certain because I wasn't there, but I have read that, for example, during the recording of Obladi Oblada, which Paul mostly wrote, they went through so many takes, like in the order of 70, 80, 90 takes, trying to record this thing. And Paul still wasn't happy with it. And everybody was, and everybody else was along the lines of, but fuck it, I'm over this song. You can finish it yourself if you want anything changed. The album being all over the place, it makes it real hard to concentrate on any one thing in particular about it. A number of these songs appear to have been written about other people who were hanging out, hanging around at the time they were writing and recording it. Like, okay, they were in India. There was also a, like an American tourist staying nearby who decided to just leave and go on like a three-week tiger hunting excursion or something. And they wrote the song Bungalow Bill about him. <laughs> Things like that. Was there anything in particular that stood out to you? Not really. This was one of those ones that even when I sat down to listen to it and pay attention, I was kind of like, mm, okay, it sounds like I should be at a mall or something. Are you saying that because it sounded like generic background music kind of stuff? Yeah. Like I kept thinking of the Partridge family and festivals and malls and restaurants that those were the places where I would imagine hearing this music. See, I think that kind of speaks to the ubiquity of the music on this album now. I think in general, this album, it was already a little bit of a departure for the Beatles by, by this time. And by departure, I mean like in the breadth and the scope of it. Most of their prior albums at least had some unifying musical themes on each of them, things that tied them all together. And I think they went further afield here. Dear Beatles historians, I am not a Beatles historian. Please don't yell at me. Listen, we're not professionals. Not even close. Yeah, like I had no strong emotions about this one. I had no strong emotions about this one at all, honestly, in either way. Having not grown up in an era where the Beatles were seen as revolutionary in a contemporary sense, the best I can do is focus on how each song actually sounds to me in the moment where I am. And I find that the songs that hold up best on this album are the ones that are the simplest, where it's clear it was one person in control of the song and doing things without overproduction, without a lot of argument. Here's the song. We're doing this. So maybe those were the ones where there was less fighting. What stands out to me are, are things like Dear Prudence and Blackbird and Your Blues and Mother Nature's Son and While My Guitar Gently Weeps. These are not the most complicated songs on the whole album, but they are some of the... Your favorites? Some of the most aesthetic. Aesthetic, that's a word. I'm trying to figure out how they will... I don't understand. <laughs> so I'm like, they look good to you? You're not... What are you seeing? If you're imagining a song as a physical object, it would be the most visually pleasing. Mm -hmm. As opposed to something like 
Piggies or Revolution 9, which, you know, is a bunch of tape loops or Honey Pie. It's confusing oh. enough that they put the, they put those two songs named that named so close to each other. Well, and Revolution 1 and Revolution 9, but you know. Yeah, what happened to 2 through 8? <laughs> I'm not entirely sure. Uh, Revolution 1 is the one that will be more familiar to a casual listener, but it is not the version of Revolution that was put out as a single. That one was a little harder edged and a little faster than this one. I do prefer their upbeat songs to the not so upbeat ones, just because I can tap my toe as I listen a little bit. Okay. Was there anything in particular you did not care for? Nothing really jumped out as bad. And it was such an easy listen. I didn't get tired of it, like wanting to turn it off actively. I was very bored, though, overall. So that's like my that's my biggest sticking point is being bored. You'd rather be annoyed than bored? Yes, because then I'm feeling something stronger. Can you think of some music from around the late 1968, early 69 span that you might have preferred to hear? The way my sense of time is set up, I probably do, but I'm not sure when these songs that I know were made. <laughs> All right. Time to go to Wikipedia, 1969 in right. music. <laughs> what was happening then? Because I'm sure there's something there and I would like. Let's see. Okay. Following songs achieved the highest chart positions in the chart in 1969. The Beatles, Get Back. The Rolling Stones, Honky Tonk Women. Uh, the Archies with Sugar Sugar. Elvis Presley with Suspicious Minds. There's one. Here's one. La La Means I Love You by the Delphonics came out in 1968. I thoroughly enjoyed that song. Anything else? I don't know if I know all any of these songs. That's the problem. I don't, I'm not very good with knowing songs unless it's one that really, <laughs> really jumps out. Oh my goodness. Hey Jude, I've heard that song. It's another Beatles song. I feel like I should know Tighten Up by Archie Bell and the Drills, but I may or may not. Dance to the Music by Sly and the Family Stone. Oh, that's an amazing track. Ooh, and I Wish It Would Rain by The Temptations. That one is actually in my head now because I love that song. Okay, there we go. Yeah, see, the music that I would have liked would have been stuff like the James Brown, Aretha Franklin's Temptations. That's where I would have been. So you're, you're nowhere, as far as you know, near the Beatles at this point. No. Uh-uh. You see, I went into this album thinking I was going to come into it and say, well, yeah, it's okay, whatever. You know, I can see how it's important to some people, but I'm just like kind of over it as a as a whole work. <laughs> but unlike when we were talking about Alan Sherman, and I was like, I'm going into this, I'm thinking this could be great because I love me some Alan Sherman. And I came away disappointed in that greatest hits album because I was like, it's not aged nearly as well as I thought it did. But here. You know, I went into it thinking, okay, yeah, I've heard all this before. And then once I realized, I don't think I've heard it as a singular unit. Mm -hmm. And I started listening to it more closely. I was like, you know, I think this has aged better than I thought it would. Because I hear the influence that it's had on so much else that I've been listening to since then. The context of all those things that built upon some of what some of what happens here is where I'm coming from. And even though I might sound less than totally enthused, maybe it's, it's not for a lack of respect for the music. 
I think what gets me is that there are a lot of people out there who think that Beatles were perfect and could do no wrong and everything was, oh my God, orgasmic. Everything they did was the best. I can't quite jive with that. I would like to talk to those people because I missed the point completely. I'm like, oh. See, and I don't think that the Beatles were as revolutionary a band as a lot of people think they are because there are a lot of much lesser known artists that built that built the bricks on which they stood. I mean, especially when you get to like some of the folk music influences that are present here and some of the blues stuff that's on here, even the little bit of ska that you hear here and there, like in Oh Bloody, Oh Blada. It's like all these things existed before, but I don't think it was until the Beatles that so many of those things were quite put together as a unit, even though... Mm -hmm the final production of this does still come across as pretty scattershot. And I think, I don't think it's being mean to say that obviously every member of this band was in a different like headspace from everyone else when this was going on. I wish I had more to offer on this one, but yeah, I, I really just hear this as generic music from the U S that plays in the background of places where you go do things with Ge people. Generic music from the U S that was from, from the UK and recorded in India. This is generic American music. <laughs> <laughs> Without specific context, it can kind of fade into the background. Easily, yeah. I kind of wonder if I were both alive and conscious of it back then when it was released. You know, I should probably have looked this up beforehand, but I didn't because I'm sure there's something written on it. What the reaction to something like back in the USSR really like was... I mean, mm, yeah, because it's clearly a parody of back in the USA by the Beach Boys right down to the the background vocals. And it's clearly not meant to be taken seriously. But we're talking about 1968. And oh, my God, communism. I know there were there were plenty of instances of radio stations refusing to play particular Beatles tracks because impressions and beliefs about what it may or may not be talking about or album art or controversial lyrics that today wouldn't even be given a second thought. I'm kind of curious what the reaction to something as obviously parody as back in the USSR was. That being said, and this might be an unpopular opinion. Uh oh, I think if they, if they strip back some of the songs that don't quite mesh stylistically, or let's say they just, they decide to go with a theme here. They could probably make, this album stronger by weeding out some songs make it make it not a double album make it like just a single one lp 10 tracks uh, let's be generous let's give them 15 16 tracks i mean most of these are pretty short they are give them 15 16 tracks give me the best stuff here that works together as a cohesive album because like i said coming into this in my mind this wasn't so much an album as it was a very large collection of singles and while I have a better appreciation of it as an album now, I still think editing could make this stronger. That is probably the case. I thought that I was going to come away from this like, okay, I get it. The Beatles were amazing and blah, blah, blah. But I am still missing the point. I don't see the amazingness of them at all. At all? Not at all. They made nice music is what I hear. You know, I'm missing the point on them being great. But then I think about 
the people that I think are great. And I'm pretty sure there are folks that have the same feeling about them that I'm feeling about the Beatles. Like, I don't get it. I don't see the point. What's so amazing about them? So then it's like, uh, you know, difference of opinions is okay. For all of the different music that the Beatles dabbled in, they really didn't do all that much with like R&B or soul. It wasn't their wheelhouse. If that's your cultural frame of reference from around this time, you know, then the Beatles are not going to play nearly the role that they do if you are primarily a rock fan. True. Or a, or even a folk or country fan. I don't think I heard any of that in this. Like country. They didn't do anything country. Not really country, but like if you're listening to, say, Rocky Raccoon, you can hear it's, it's more folk-like, but you can hear yeah. the structure you can hear how that structure evolved into a more modern form of country as opposed to the Western style music that eventually came into country also. And I keep forgetting that they were not from the U.S. So that's probably something else too. Yeah, because they they started off mostly doing like skiffle acts, which is not something that most Americans have any knowledge of whatsoever. Doesn't even sound like a real word. What is skiffle? So basically skiffle evolved with the influence of a lot of American music into what would become British Invasion and then re-influence back into American music for more modern rock and roll. Okay. Have we hashed this out enough that we feel like we can offer a rating? I'm going to give this one a five because it was an hour and a half of nice music that bored me. Like, it wasn't bad. It wasn't offensive. They play their instruments all right. Their voices do not make my ears bleed. It just did nothing for me. You know, speaking of voices, and this is something that something has kind of bothered me for a while about the Beatles, is that generally John, Paul, and George, mostly John and Paul, and often George, like trading off on lead vocal duties. Mm-hmm. And I, and this this again is going to sound sacrilegious to someone who's an, an enormous Beatles fan, but I have a real hard time telling their voices apart most of the time. The only one that I can that I can consistently say yes, this is absolutely that person is when Ringo sings, and Ringo doesn't sing all that often. Well, we know I couldn't tell you who's who. But anyway, bringing it back to the point here is, mm-hmm. I'm still going to give this a pretty high score. Really mostly based off of influence not necessarily for the album itself because i just hear so much of this in in the in other music that i appreciate so this is still getting a like a seven potentially an eight if i'm having a really good day mostly a seven because i do enjoy the music i can't say that i don't care about it i actually i truly enjoy it there's only so much i can take of things like revolution nine some days and that's actually saying something considering how much weird shit I listen to. I'm not ashamed of, of liking this album, but I wish it were more cohesive and I think it could have been made better. I will remain optimistic that if I heard another Beatles album, I may like it more than this one. I probably will like it more than this one. I've got most of their studio albums. Not all of them, but most of them. But I'm not volunteering. We'll probably encounter another one eventually. I'm sure. Hey, Google. Give me a number between 1 and 2,100. Here's a random number, 1,530.
1530. Uh. I don't think we've been in this range in a while. We are going to be listening to I Wish by Skilo. Oh my gosh, as much as I have been singing this song over the years. And that's our show for this week. Please rate and review us on whatever platform you're listening through, and feel free to leave a voice message on our page at anchor.fm. There's a link to it in the show description. Thank you to Dre for joining me, and thank you for joining us. Until next time, be good to your music. It's been good to you.